Well, hey, everyone. Good to see you all. If we haven't met before, my name is John Alexander. And whether you are joining us at one of our 11 locations, maybe online or with a viewing group, or maybe you're taking a message in from a correctional facility here in the state or another church that's streaming our messages, welcome. We are one people who gathers in whatever our unique context under the name of Jesus to worship God. But we also recognize that some joining us today don't believe in Jesus and, and don't have faith in God. And so if you're exploring faith or you're wrestling with those God questions, welcome. No matter who you are and how you're joining us today, we are really glad you're here, especially because we're kicking off a new three-week series called God on Trial. Now, I realize right out of the gate that might sound sacrilegious or irreverent to some wondering, how dare we question God that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to put God on the witness stand and ask the tough questions. Why? Because in this series, we are going to be studying this shorter, lesser known Old Testament book of the Bible called Habakkuk. And what we find throughout the book is that this prophet named Habakkuk essentially puts God on trial. Now, typically, prophets spoke on behalf of God to people or spoke on behalf of people to God, but Habakkuk does neither. Instead, this is the only book in the Bible that in its entirety records a direct conversation between a person and God, and in this case, Habakkuk. Now, to give some backstory, about 600-ish years prior to Jesus being born, the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah, was in complete disarray. There was corruption, godlessness, violence, and evil, and Habakkuk can't understand why God's not doing anything about it. You ever been there? You ever witness or experience suffering so terrible and wonder why God isn't doing anything about it? Now, Habakkuk has no problem questioning God, and I'd like to contend today that neither should we. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, Lord? How long must I call for help, but you do not listen? How long, Lord? How long must I suffer in this way? I grew up in this little town called Longview, Washington. It was a small town that was originally built around the lumber and timber industry right there on the Columbia River. And because my dad worked in human resources at one of the local lumber companies, there was this unspoken expectation that once his kids hit 16, that we'd work in the lumber mill during the summer, primarily because there was no higher paying job that a 16-year-old kid could get. We made $13 to $15 an hour, which was a lot for a high school student saving for college, but, but I think they had to pay that much 22 years ago because, frankly, the job was terrible, okay? As a 16-year-old, waking up at 5 a.m., really hard to do, driving 20 minutes down the freeway, arriving by 6 a.m., running into the mill with a cooler in one hand and a hard hat in the other, trying to clock in one of those old-school, you know, time punch card things, clock in before the alarm blasted, and then lining up next to some of these mill lifers whose ratio of cuss words to non-cuss words was like three to one, okay? I'm not kidding. Well, one of my jobs during the summer was to work on what was called the chain. These two-by-four cedar boards, anywhere from six foot to 20 foot, uh, 24 foot long, would come shooting out of the log chute. 
Okay, not like the one at Mall of America, that's why we have a visual here, but onto this moving chain. And because they were flying out of the chute, my job was to organize and line these boards up so that people down the chain could grade the quality so that they could get sorted. Well, every 10th board or so that would come flying out would get caught and then fly across to the other side. And so my job was I'd have to quickly climb up these stairs, scatter across the chain, which was constantly moving, by the way. They didn't want to stop for, you know, humans. While these <laughs> boards were still shooting out, try to avoid getting hit and then throw the errant board back across the chain. Now, here's why this was so important. Because the grades and therefore the bonuses of these men down the line were dependent on how well I could organize the boards for them. Needless to say, I was yelled at, cursed at, and called names. I had to look up in a special online dictionary after my shift was over because I just hadn't heard of it before. But for me as a 16-year-old, every day, every eight-hour shift felt like an eternity, and I often wondered, how long, Lord, do I need to do this? Working at the lumber mill, for me, was its own kind of long suffering. And of course, you know, suffering can take many forms. It may be the kind of suffering where we endure working at a job we don't like for a long period of time. Or, or it's suffering with constant pain. It's a feeling of betrayal or a moment of sin that has left awake. Before we go on, I want us to be careful not to quantify or compare our struggles. In fact, I think that one of the dangers of asking this question of suffering is to think, well, I, my suffering's it's not that big of a deal. Or it's to think, they think they have it bad. What about me? No, what feels like suffering to one may not to another. Suffering doesn't need to be quantified or compared. Bottom line, we can all relate to asking, how long, Lord, must I call for help? How long must I continue to suffer in this way? I just wonder today, is there any place in your life where you are finding yourself asking, why do I continue to suffer? Well, one of the reasons for why we suffer is, of course, because of my choices. You know, I choose to remain a Seattle Mariners fan. You choose to remain a Minnesota Vikings fan. It's like same, same here. And all of us have held on for 6,397 days for the Twins to finally win a playoff game. We have suffered long enough, okay? But I choose Boom's ice cream. I choose cup and cone late at night, even though I know dairy destroys my stomach and my sleep. Those are my decisions. But I also choose things like, you know, I choose the times I say something hurtful to my kids or my spouse. I choose to harbor bitter thoughts and unforgiveness. You choose that unnecessary happy hour. You choose that extra look. You choose to keep that secret conversation going. As Proverbs 19.3 says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. God isn't to blame for our foolish choices. Another reason for suffering is the choice of others. I was reminded of this this August when Emily and I took a trip to New York City for our 15-year wedding anniversary. And while we were there, we took the opportunity to go visit the 9-11 Memorial and Museum in Manhattan. And for those old enough to remember, 
reliving the suffering and evil and terror of that day sent shivers up our spine. That kind of suffering inflicted by others is horrific, but we gotta ask, is God responsible for the suffering caused by a few men who sent four planes crashing into buildings, fields, and offices? No, he's not. Thousands died and millions more were affected because of the choice of others. But more often than not, we blame God for suffering when in reality we suffer because of the sinful choices we or others make. And no one is immune. Look what the Bible says about how sin has infected the whole world. Romans 5.12 says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And so death and suffering has reigned from the time of Adam until now. Because of Adam, the first man, sin has stained the whole world, and now death and suffering reign, but it's no longer just Adam's fault. Now we're all guilty. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of God's glory. Again, most of the suffering in the world can be traced to the sinful choices of people who by their own free will lies abuses, cheats, defrauds, violates, overindulges, and murders. Another reason for suffering is the broken natural world in which we live. In Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God created was good. It was perfection. But because of sin, as we've already established, not only did it affect our choices, but the good world that God had created became fractured and and it broke. Genesis 3 says this, because of this sin, the ground is cursed because of you. It will grow thorns and thistles, for you were made from dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is now the inevitable end. The world is full of thorns and thistles. The ground is cursed And it doesn't take much for us to see how broken the world is. Wildfires in Maui, flooding in Libya, hurricanes, earthquakes, and tornadoes, leaving paths of destruction and devastation. Of course, whether some of these are preventable or not because of our sin, sure. But no one will argue that the world is broken. And sometimes for inexplicable reasons, Suffering seems to pile on top of more suffering. After Habakkuk challenges God by asking, where have you been? And when are you going to do something about all the suffering we are experiencing? God responds, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And if we stopped here, I bet at this point Habakkuk is like, finally, God's going to do something amazing. He's going to rescue us. I mean, he's going to save us from our suffering, but nope. Instead, God continues, I am raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, those ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. God goes on and on about how wicked and evil and powerful the Babylonians are, how it's just a matter of time before they're going to be there to crush 
Judah, how long must I suffer Habakkuk wonders? God's answer, <laughs> even longer than you thought. And Habakkuk's like, are you kidding? So Habakkuk questions again, are you, to God, are you not from everlasting? Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? God, why would you continue to allow suffering, especially now at the hands of people who are even worse than we are? You know, the question of suffering has long been a barrier to faith for, for people for centuries. In 300 BC, the Greek philosopher Epicurus asked, if God is not able to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he must not be all good. If God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? And that's a fair question. And it's a question that maybe many of you have wondered. Now to answer and respond as we've already looked at, 95% of the suffering in this world can be attributed to my choices the choices of others, and the broken natural world in which we live. And while that may answer some, there, there's still a percentage of suffering that feels so awful and unnecessary that many wonder, why couldn't God prevent some of that? And the truth is, he does. See, on this side of eternity, we'll never know how much suffering God has prevented on our behalf. Why don't we know? because we're not suffering. And we didn't realize that we could be. But even still, that doesn't leave the times where it seems like God could have come through, but didn't. How do we maintain faith even in those times? Again, this question of suffering initially kept author and scholar C.S. Lewis from believing in God, but eventually, he realized his desire for good and justice actually proved the existence of a good and just God. In his book, Mere Christianity, he writes, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it Unjust. In other words, his and our desire to end suffering gives evidence to a good God who created people in his image. As soon as we say something is evil, we are now appealing to an objective standard, to a straight line. Where did we get that standard? If not God, then who? Well, Lewis concludes, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, we wonder why we suffer, because we were made in the image of God. We ask how long, because we want evil to be made right and bad to become good. So why do we suffer? Well, it's sin our own sin, others' sin, and the broken world corrupted by sin. That's most of the answer, but again, still incomplete. Because it's at this point, I want us to acknowledge that, that trying to hold the reasons for suffering in one hand 
and then a totally loving, totally sovereign, totally in control God in the other hand is not easy. There's dueling truths there. There's tension there. See, on this side of heaven, we just fully won't understand why some suffering occurs. And and for me, I'm okay with that. Mainly because I don't know of a better answer for suffering than Christianity. And so for the time that we have left, my hope is since suffering feels inevitable, no one is immune, maybe a better question we should be asking is how should we suffer? I wanna suggest four ways to suffer with hope. The first is to persevere for something more. Habakkuk writes these words, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. In other words, he's afraid. He knows the suffering is only going to get worse because the Babylonians are coming. But then he writes these words, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us despite his fear and anticipation. Habakkuk is going to wait patiently and persevere for the day that God is going to judge the Babylonians and ultimately deliver his people. But again, can we just acknowledge how difficult it is to see the something more on the other side of suffering when we're in it? I mean, sure, with hindsight, many of us can look back on a period of suffering and think, man, if I hadn't gone through that medical situation or experienced that trying time, I wouldn't be who I am today. With hindsight, we can look back, but when we're actually in it, it's hard to wait patiently and persevere for that something more when we're suffering. That's why Paul writes to remind everyone, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Suffering tests, and it challenges, and it stretches our faith. And if we persevere and endure, it'll ultimately lead to something better and stronger on the other side. I mentioned before, I I played baseball in catcher. One problem is I can't squat, okay? I have no flexibility. I'm going to show you right now, okay? This is me getting down as a catcher. Look at me. I can't, I mean, I can't get down very far. And you might be wondering, why did you play catcher? That's story for another time. And you might be thinking, well, that's because you're almost 40. You're just getting old. No, 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 no. I have never had flexibility. At six foot three, it would take a trainer 30 minutes to stretch my really skinny, long chicken legs and my brutally stiff knee joints just to get somewhat close to the ground. It was painful. But when they were done twisting me into a pretzel, believe it or not, if I get stretched out for that long, I could squat for nine innings before hobbling out with, you know, two ice bags on both knees. I was a really old man at a young age. But point is, when I endured the stretching and suffering that came with it, it did lead to something better. So how do we suffer We persevere while holding out hope for something better on the other side. Maybe your suffering will lead to a renewed appreciation for life. 
Maybe what you've been through will lead to a fresh perspective on being a parent, or it's because of your suffering that one day you'll be on a mission to save others from the pain that you've experienced. Maybe it's hard to see right now, especially if you're suffering, but hold on, persevere. God has something greater in mind for you. Author and pastor Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, writes these words. One of the main teachings of the Bible is that almost no one grows into greatness or finds God without suffering, without pain coming into our lives like smelling salts to wake us up to all sorts of facts about life and our own hearts to which we were blind. If you're suffering, hold on to this promise. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. You may be suffering now, but persevere for the good that God is working out for later. Second way to suffer with hope is to pray against evil and suffering. If I haven't been clear, God is opposed to suffering. Sin, evil, and suffering are not a part of God's original Planned suffering is a deviation from God's good creation. So in the meantime, one of our primary jobs is to join forces in the spiritual realm and pray against evil and suffering. Even though Habakkuk knew that the Babylonians were coming, Habakkuk still prayed against it. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand guard or stand at my guard post. Now, Scripture has several references to people who climb to the top of a gate or watchtower to stand guard as watchmen, both in the real physical sense. It was a way they protected themselves from a physical enemy, but also in a spiritual sense, where watchmen and women were positioned as spiritual guards to protect others from demonic forces. That's because one of the sources of suffering that God is allowed to have some reign in this world that we are praying against is the devil and his demonic forces. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, Habakkuk is spiritually standing guard against the great enemy, asking God to intervene and awaiting his reply. Our world is a spiritual battlefield where Satan attacks marriages, goes after our kids, does what he can to divide and fracture the world, and can even cause illness and unnecessary suffering. For me, I often find myself feeling like Satan's trying to take me out, not in a voodoo-y sense, but like in the sense that he'd love nothing more than to take me out of the church. Take me out of my pastoral calling. Take me out as a man of integrity and character. He'd love nothing more than to do that. That's why I take Paul's words seriously in Ephesians 6, which says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Now, here's what it looks like practically to stand guard at the watchtower and put on the full armor of God every day. I do my very best to spend time in God's word. I let God remind me about what's true when it comes to faith and salvation and his promises, and then I pray. I pray for protection over our home and my family. When I run by my kids' schools in the morning, I often pray for protection. When others in our lives are 
it is suffering, I pray against the potential spiritual forces on behalf of those other people. Our family prays together almost every night before bed as a sign of unity against Satan. Why? I'm climbing up to the watchtower and I'm standing guard. And I just wonder, would you be willing to do the same? We need godly men and women to stand guard in the spiritual and pray against suffering and evil. Maybe people won't know your name, but the angels in heaven know exactly who you are. Pray against natural disasters, come as they may. Pray against spiritual enemies seeking to destroy our families and churches and cities and world. Pray against the devil and his schemes. I mean, who else is gonna stand guard as watchmen? And watch women and pray against demonic forces and spiritual suffering. If not you, then who? Like Habakkuk, let's stand guard and pray against evil and suffering. Third way to suffer with hope is to worship through pain. You know, one of the greatest examples of faith I've seen in my lifetime was at the funeral of my friend Eric. I've actually shared this story before, but... Frankly, as long as God gives me opportunities to preach, I'll share it again and again. But Eric passed away two years ago. And on the day of his funeral with several hundred people attending the White Bear Lake campus, his wife Ellen and three kids at the time, they were 10, 12, 14, all spoke with confidence that they would see their dad and husband again. And then in a moment that I'll never forget, as long as I live, during one of the worship songs, their family of four, now without their dad, filled with suffering, pain, and tragic loss, they stood and worshiped God. Here's the best picture that I could grab. And they were standing during a song that was called Know You Will, and the lyrics say this, when the road runs dead, you can see a way I don't. And it makes no sense, but you say that's what faith is for. Ellen said that her daughter Maggie, who could barely walk after having hip surgery two days prior, turned to her in that moment and said, we have to stand. Despite the pain, despite the suffering, they stood in faith and worshiped through their suffering. I don't know what kind of suffering you're experiencing, but here's what I do know. God wants his, us to worship him through it all. Habakkuk says in chapter three, verse two, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Sure, Habakkuk's asking, why do I continue to suffer? How long, Lord? But in the meantime, he says, I have heard of your fame. I am in awe of who you are. I know that you are God and that there is no one like you, and so I am going to stand and worship you. Corey Tenboom, who experienced immense suffering as a Jewish believer living during the Holocaust and Nazi reign of terror, once said, You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Some of the most faith filled people are those who have suffered to the point where Jesus is all they have, and sometimes all we have left is to stand and worship God through our pain. And we're gonna give everyone a chance to do that right at the end, but just a final way to suffer with hope and definitely the most critical 
is to look upon Jesus. And so at this point, I hope I provided some answers based on Habakkuk and scripture as to why and how to deal with suffering. But for me, while all of this gives me a foundation, none of this completely answers my deepest need when I suffer. See what I need. And frankly, the only answer that will completely satisfy is Jesus. What we need to do is look upon Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who bore the weight of sin and shame on the cross so we don't have to. It's to look upon the one who was born into this world, a poor, lowly baby, God in flesh, the King of kings and Lord of lords who endured every natural pain, every evil, every injustice, hatred, loss, abuse, beating, and suffering known to mankind. And then to top it off, he died a brutal, painful death. And while hanging on that cross for several hours, with nails torn through his hands, he let out a loud cry with his final breath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt what many of us have felt, what Habakkuk felt, what people who deal with immense suffering often feel, the silence of God. I know so many of us can relate. You're suffering. Even worse, it feels like God is silent, that he has abandoned you. Jesus experienced the same and worse. In that moment, he felt the soul-crushing weight of feeling abandoned by God and, and the worst kind of suffering known. Why did it have to be this way? Well, one reason, Jesus suffered so that he could help us with our suffering. See, Jesus is available and powerful enough to help us with our suffering in this life. He also suffered to pay the penalty of sin, what we would deserve if it wasn't for him. He suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer eternal separation from God. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing a song called Son of Suffering. And the lyrics say this, the perfect son of God in all his innocence here walking in the dirt with you and me. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief. The man of sorrows, who's often referred to, son of suffering. And before we stand and worship, we're gonna receive communion together. You may take hold of those elements. Just hold on for a second to open them. Because on the night that Jesus was about to suffer the worst kind of suffering, betrayal and death, he sat around with his disciples. He took bread and broke it and passed to each one saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat and remember me. And then he took a cup and he passed it around and said, drink. For this represents my blood spilled for you. Let it remind you of the sacrifice that I'm going to make for the sins of many. And now 2,000 years later, we partake in communion to look upon Jesus. He alone is the answer we need to our suffering. And I just want to close with the words of Habakkuk. 
who towards the very end of his book writes this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, despite all that suffering, despite what I'm going through, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Before you receive the elements, take a moment to remember how Jesus suffered for you. Thank him for it. And then when you're ready and you don't have to be a member of our church, you can take the wafer and drink the juice. And then when you're ready, we're gonna stand and worship even despite our suffering in the midst of suffering, maybe on behalf of another person who is suffering, we're gonna stand in worship as we look upon Jesus. Go ahead when you're ready. Yeah. 
cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever, your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, Father God, all glory to you, all praise that we have to you, Jesus, that your word, your truth covers a multitude of our sin. God, and in our suffering, you are there with us. You never leave us, you never abandon us. God, we wanna believe that, we wanna walk that truth. So Jesus, help us to tune into your spirit a little more, to be receptive so that we can be the light in this world. We love the fact that you don't have to use us, but you choose to use us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's your name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys, for singing. Hey, there's gonna be an awesome prayer team up front. Anyone that needs prayer, feel free to come up. Otherwise, we'll see you next weekend. Go Twins.